Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. <laughs> he was around the edges of a couple of fairly large organized crime groups in Arizona at that time. It is very easy to get in over your head. You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster podcast with hosts Amy and... And I'm Kevin. And we're coming back at you this week with episode number 78, The Curious Case of Charles Chuck Morgan. Now, this is the second time we're doing this because our audio got all jacked up on the first one. Quite curious. Yeah, it was a curious case for us indeed. But, and then you were out of town. I went and played a heavy metal fest in Texas. It was like back in the old days, like two years ago. It was great. Yeah, and um, my dad also had a health scare a couple weeks ago, so we basically took the month of October off, which sucks because this was supposed to kind of be like a spooky Halloween case, but, you know, we're always a little spooky over here at the True Crime Dumpster, so it's okay that we're doing it a little after Halloween. It's still a spooky case. It's, It's strange, for sure. For sure. It's March 22nd, 1977. And Chuck Morgan, 39, left his home in Tucson, Arizona to drop his two daughters off at school just like any other day. But after dropping his girls off, he never made it to work. And he also didn't make it home that night. In fact, Charles wouldn't show up for another three days. On March 25th, Charles's wife, Ruth, was awakened around 2 a.m. from sounds outside. She said, I was in bed and the dog started barking. I got up went to the door and opened it, and there was Chuck. He was missing a shoe and had one plastic handcuff around one ankle and a set around his hands. I'm assuming what she means by plastic handcuffs, probably zip ties, do you think? Something like that, probably. Yeah. So he was missing a shoe and had one plastic handcuff around one ankle and a set around his hands, like I said. When he motioned to his throat and didn't say a word, I asked him, can you talk? Can you write? He shook his head yes, so I went and got a tablet and a pen. He wrote that his throat had been painted with a hallucinogenic drug and that the drug could drive him irrevocably insane or destroy his nervous system and kill him. I wanted to call a doctor and the police, but he was adamant that that would be signing a death warrant for the whole family. Sound crazy yet? Yeah. So Chuck was a lucrative escrow agent, and Arizona in the 70s was apparently known to be a great place to launder money due to a state law that allowed anyone to buy land through numbered blind trust accounts. So no name attached, just a number, right? Yeah. Crazy. Some mafia organizations set up camp and used Arizona for money laundering and also as a narcotics pipeline. Charles Morgan allegedly did real estate escrow work for at least one mafia family. Unsolved Mysteries did an episode on this case, February 7th, 1990. And after the episode aired, several tips were called into the show. Journalist Don Devereaux had been reporting on the case and followed up on some of these tips. Yeah, and Don Devereaux, he's going to come up a lot in this. So he is the investigative journalist that really kind of makes this case his. 
He discovered Charles was heavily involved in money laundering activities through his escrow company. And from 73 until 1977, Charles was also involved in large gold and platinum bullion transactions for that same mafia family. Apparently, that's an easier way to clean money. Charles was also a secret witness in an extensive land fraud investigation. Yeah, could he be into shadier stuff? Jeez. <laughs> Charles is a shady little fucker. So Charles's wife, Ruth, finds her husband half hogtied after he's been missing for three days. He writes down he's got some crazy drug in his throat that will kill him if, he doesn't dri- if it doesn't drive him insane. And he pleads with Ruth not to go to the police because, like Amy said, it'll put the whole family in, in danger. So over the next week, Ruth nurses her husband back to health, feeding him with an eyedropper until he was able to speak again. So when Charles is able to speak again, he tells Ruth that he's been secretly working for the U.S. government for two to three years as an undercover agent fighting organized crime, mainly money laundering. Before any of this happened, he once told Ruth that there was money laundering going on in Tucson. So everyone kind of knows this. But he assured her that he was not involved with it. So after Charles gets back on his feet, he gets real paranoid. He always wears a bulletproof vest, carries a 357 Magnum, and exclusively drives his daughters to and from school. He contacted the school and told them that only he was authorized to pick up his children. So obviously there has been some serious threat made against him and his family because he obviously believes it. This dude's scared, yeah. Yeah. So Charles also told his father that if something did happen to him, he had written a letter detailing who exactly was responsible. That would be a nice letter to have. Not even two months passed since Charles disappeared when he disappeared again. This time, nine days passed with nothing, no contact from him. Then on the ninth day, Ruth got a phone call from a woman who quotes some Bible passage and then says, Chuck is all right. Ecclesiastes 12, 1 to 8. This is a reference to a Bible passage which reads, in part, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. I don't even really know what to make of that. You know, it sounds like a bunch of gobbledygook to me, too. (laughs) So two days after receiving this cryptic phone call, the body of Charles Morgan is discovered. He is deceased. He died from a single gunshot wound fired at close range at the back of his head. The murder weapon, his own 357 Magnum, was lying beside him. He was still wearing his bulletproof vest, ironically enough. Police found a piece of paper written in Charles's handwriting. It was a map of the murder scene. Police also found a pair of sunglasses that did not belong to Charles. Found clipped inside of Charles's underwear, authorities found a $2 bill. On that bill, okay, this is going to get crazy yeah on that bill seven spanish names were written alphabetically a to g there were also some freemasonry type drawings and something that we didn't say earlier is he actually is a mason what a lot of people are like in the midwest and 
basically outside of, I feel like, the West Coast. It's kind of like a anywhere else in the United States thing. It's a drinking club, right? It's basically. Yeah. So there was, like we were saying, there was also some Freemasonry type drawings. I'm assuming like triangles and stuff. I don't know. Maybe an all-seeing eye. Maybe. And um, <laughs> that Bible passage that the woman had said earlier on the phone, the Ecclesiastes um, 12, with verses 1 through 8 marked by arrows on the bill's serial number. On the back of the bill, the signers of the Declaration of Independence were listed 1 to 7, and there was another poorly drawn map which led to a sketchy area between Tucson and Mexico, the towns of Robles, Junction, and Salacity. These towns were also known for smuggling. You can find images of this $2 bill online. Maybe we'll post it, yeah. Yeah. But it looks like some tweaker shit. Yeah, it's just crazy t- like that there's so many things that kind of correspond with stuff, but it but it doesn't actually say anything, you know? It definitely seems like code for something. Yeah, and we'll talk about that, what, what the police and investigators like think that it could be. But it really doesn't lead to much. Um, I was talking to my dad about, I'm like, is there any significance to him having a $2 bill? And I guess like... $2 bills were seen as unlucky for a long time. Now people like have $2 bills in their wallets for like good luck. They like keep a $2 bill in there or people give them like as like partial graduation presents and stuff, you know, they stick them in cards. But back before I would say current times, so probably before you were born, $2 bills were actually seen as unlucky. I never, I never heard that. Yeah, I was talking to my dad about it and he was just saying that, yeah, $2 bills were unlucky. And there's a lot of reasons I Googled it, but it's only been somewhat recently that they're kind of seen as a sign of good luck. I do know on the back of the bill, it did have a picture of all the signers yeah. of the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. So maybe that was part of his message. Yeah, we'll see. Or not see. <laughs> so there were no fingerprints found at the scene, oddly enough. Yet Charles did have gunpowder residue on his left hand. But Charles was right-handed. What I'm getting at is they made it, the cops were saying it was a suicide. Yeah, but there's no fingerprints at all. And he wasn't wearing gloves. So it's not likely that it was a suicide. Right. No fingerprints, no gloves. Kind of weird. So it seemed like it was like wiped down. Uh, In Charles's car, police found several weapons, ammo, a CB radio. And most curious, they found one of Charles's teeth or part of one wrapped inside a white handkerchief. No fingerprints in the car either. You know, I was trying to make sense of the tooth in the handkerchief and or handkerchief, however you say it. And I, do you think that they were trying to torture him? Or someone was trying to torture him? Because I'm, we'll just let you know right now, we don't believe that this was a suicide. The weirdest one ever, maybe, but no. Yeah. I think it's another message. Oh, okay. A message to who? I don't know. Maybe like Charles, you know, had the $2 bill and that was a message for someone that was going to find him. And maybe the killer with the tooth was leaving a second message for, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. know. It's very strange. It's one of the strangest crime scenes. There's a lot, but this one's a lot. (laughs) Despite these weird circumstances, Charles Morgan's death is believed to be a suicide by many of the sheriff's office. 
Ruth did not think it was a suicide. Neither do we. She said he would have left a note for her and her daughters. Don Devereaux also said, quote, I've never seen in all my years as a journalist a fellow take himself out in the desert wearing a bulletproof vest and shoot himself in the back of the head. And I would have to agree with Don there. That seems very fucking strange. Two days after Charles was discovered, an anonymous woman spoke to an officer for the Pima County Sheriff's Department on the telephone. She claimed that Charles was supposed to meet her at a local motel shortly before he died. She claimed that her nickname was Green Eyes and that she was the same woman that had called Ruth several days earlier. She also claimed that at the motel, Charles said there was a $90,000 hit on him. He then showed her a briefcase containing several thousand dollars in cash. He said the money would help buy him out of the contract that had been put on his life. But I think we get into this later, but it was like a lot less than 90000 what he had on him. So I don't know how I think it was would... closer to like 30000 Yeah. But it was still quite a bit. I don't know how that would buy you out of a $90,000 hit. That's just me. Police were able to corroborate that the woman and Chuck had met with CCTV footage. They found out that at some time between his disappearance and his death, Morgan had registered at a Southside hotel where he met this woman several times. Do we know, was this like a woman he was like messing around with or something? Well, Ruth doesn't think so. Okay. This is just like a woman maybe involved in the organized crime stuff that was like a liaison? I'm not quite sure. Or maybe she was like a messenger. She seems like she's a messenger from the organized crime unit because that's that's the theory I'm going with. So when asked if, you know, when when Ruth was asked if he if she thought he was having an affair with this green eyes woman, she said a woman knows when her husband is strayed and Chuck hasn't strayed in 19 years. So she doesn't believe it was an extramarital affair. I don't think so either. I don't know why else you would meet a chick in a motel. But so you think it is an extramarital thing? I don't know. Like, well, I think she's just a messenger. Maybe because I don't know. She has info, but I don't think they've ever figured out who this green eyes was. So there's a theory that some mafia guy put a hit on Charles. The hitman told Charles about the hit so Charles could buy the hitman off. But the hitman killed Charles anyways and took the money. Don Devereaux believes Charles might not fully have realized who or what he was involved with. Don says, quote, there is a great likelihood that Mr. Morgan was, in fact, doing something with the government. I think this was a guy who was extremely naive about a lot of things. I think somebody blew his cover and he got killed. Charles Morgan's death was officially ruled a suicide August 10th, 1977. Which is such bullshit. So the, de- the department classifies it as a suicide, which a spokesperson, Deputy Don Barkman, said. But the county medical examiner's office, they listed it as an unsolved death. It's just weird to wear a bulletproof vest and then shoot yourself in the head, in the back of the, in the head, back of the head with your with left your hand and and wipe down the gun. Yeah, <laughs> because he does have powder residue, right? Yeah, on his he has gunpowder residue, mm-hmm. but no prints. Right. So someone tried to hold his hand and do it or something. But I mean, you can also get gunpowder residue just being in proximity to a gun. It doesn't have to. You don't have to have been holding it. That's crazy. 
So authorities claim the motive of the suicide was because of financial troubles or fears for his safety. The Morgan family was not buying it, though. Neither was reporter Don Devereaux and several of the investigators, actually. Following Morgan's death, his attorney, Ronald J. Newman, confirmed that Charles had testified in a secret state investigation concerning Tucson's Bronco International... Bronco. Bronco de Internacional de Arizona and their former director, David Colley. So he was working for the state, I guess. Attorney General Bruce Babbitt confirmed that they had been conducting an investigation for the banking department and confirmed Morgan had been called to testify about internal dealings at Banco that he knew of but wasn't involved in. Shortly after Charles died, his car that was in police possession in the police impound lot was broken into and ransacked. Around the same time, Charles Morgan's office was also broken into and turned upside down. Yeah, total suicide, right? Yeah. It was his ghost. Yeah, he, yeah, exactly. Three weeks after her husband's death, two men claiming to be FBI agents came to Ruth Morgan's house. That's not sketchy. They briefly flashed their badges like super quick, which Ruth noticed right away as being suspicious. She said everything happened so fast. She just didn't like really react. So they told her they needed to in, like search the house and they just turned it upside down. And somebody she, is looking for something. They're looking for something and And whoever that person is that's looking for it, it also killed him, right? Well, it's kind of weird that they're looking after he's dead. Don't you think maybe they couldn't break him? Yeah. And they ended up just getting sick of him and shoot him in the back of the head. I don't know. When Don Devereaux, through a FOIA request, learned that, quote, the FBI... Do you know what a FOIA request is? It's a Freedom of Information Act or whatever. Good job. Thanks. <laughs> I, I knew one. So, quote, the FBI had never heard of Mr. Morgan, despite the fact that they obviously opened an investigation, and despite the fact that the FBI interviewed Mr. Morgan's attorney. They were all over this thing like a blanket for a while, but now they never heard of the guy. He never existed. No card, no file, no nothing. If Chuck Morgan was doing undercover work for the government, Don Devereaux, again, that investigative journalist, he believes the clues he wrote on the $2 bill might have been an attempt to pass coded messages to the FBI. Ooh, it's a decoder. So this is what Don Devereaux says. I think the $2 bill provided the basis for some kind of code. What seemed to be missing, however, was the document that the $2 bill would unlock. If he was quietly providing assistance to the U.S. government and monitoring the activities of one of one or more major organized crime families, then he wasn't a villain. He was a good guy, and they need to know that. I totally agree. His, fa I mean, having this, you know, you're the dad who was like clearly doing something good. Maybe I mean he could have been a double crosser. Who knows? You know, we don't know exactly the circumstances. But if there is some kind of documentation that shows that he was working for the government and putting himself in very much harm's way, then like his name should be cleared and he should be hailed as you know some kind of maybe hero to his family as opposed to like some potentially like some double crossing suicidal coward. Like that sucks. I think he was a double dipper. You think he was a double crosser? Well, he was he there was evidence of him working with these mob families. But for real not as a informant. 
I'm sure he was getting paid by them. Hmm. Otherwise, yeah, how would he have just $30,000 cash? Double dipping. Hmm. I don't know, but still, just ruling really nice as suicide just seems like sloppy police work, too. Well, yeah. So there's two other mysterious deaths connected to Charles Chuck Morgan that we're going to talk about, and they're just fucking weird. You ready? Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay. Three weeks after the Unsolved Mysteries episode aired, a 35-year-old man named Doug Johnston was found shot to death in his car outside of his computer graphics office in Phoenix at 11 p.m. He had been shot behind his left ear from a distance of at least 12 inches. So we're talking like this. Execution be, style. Yeah. yeah, that would be impo almost impossible to do. Like you would really have to pull your left arm out of its socket to be 12 inches away. Like this would be awkward. You might be able to use a selfie stick. Oh, God. He had been shot behind his left ear from a distance of at least 12 inches. At first, authorities believed that his death was a suicide. Why? People don't shoot themselves in the back of the head when they're committing suicide, right? That's what they just call deaths when they don't want to do any work. Do the paperwork. However, he was right-handed. There was no powder residue on his hands. And most importantly, there was no gun at the scene. So you mean to tell me he killed himself and then threw the gun? Like that doesn't, that's not a thing. It's divine intervention. For unknown reasons, authorities have not determined that Doug's death was either a suicide nor a homicide. They've just let it lay. Which makes me wonder Natural if his cause. family yeah. kind of makes me wonder what his family has pushed or, not, or maybe they got paid off. <laughs> Who knows? His family and friends are convinced that his death was a homicide. They do not believe he would have committed suicide because he had just finished school and gotten a new job. And he was also very close to his family and friends. Yeah. And also, why would you go to a shift of work first and then kill yourself? Right? <laughs> yeah, totally. It's probably a Friday, too. Jesus. Anyways. Okay. So interestingly... Doug, the guy that committed, well, right, with the long arms that shot himself with no gun. He had a similar house and drove a very similar car to Don Devereaux. The investigative it? journalist. Yes. Yes. And Don Devereaux lived right across the street from the parking lot where Doug was killed. Is that so, what it was? Yes. So okay. there is a theory that there was a hit put on Don Devereaux for stop, like stop investigating, right? Yeah. Because Don Devereaux was not going to let this go. The police at this point, I don't think were super active anymore. And Don Devereaux was very much featured on that Unsolved Mysteries episode. And he was kind of the face of this unsolved crime. And so there is a theory, and it seems likely, that Doug Johnston was actually a like a missed hit. They meant to kill Doug Johnston. Like they, they saw got a the picture. Wrong guy. They, yeah, sorry, Don Devereaux. They got the wrong guy. So Don Devereaux, people believe, was the target. And then they accidentally killed Doug Johnston. That's Ugh. how it seems, yes. That's so unfortunate. I mean, it's unfortunate all around, but just a guy that didn't even know what the fuck. You wrong know? place, wrong time, yeah. Oh, that sucks. A year after Doug Johnston's murder, Don was contacted by a writer from D.C. named Danny Casolero. He agreed to share with him information that he had uncovered about Chuck's illegal gold transactions. So this was Danny telling yeah. Doug... Yeah, so Danny was like, hey, you're the guy, again, connected with this case. I have some information for you I'd like to give you. And so Don is like, cool, yeah, absolutely. And then... 
Well, then Danny was found dead with his wrists slashed in a hotel bathroom suspiciously before Don could receive this information. Ugh. Yeah, another weird one. His death was also ruled a suicide. So whoever is killing these people, they're like, finally, just, you know, no gun this time. Let's make sure to leave the razor blade behind. Jesus Christ. Yep. But Don Devereaux is not buying that either. He believes this was a murder. According to Danny's brother, Danny was very squeamish and afraid of blood. So it would seem unlikely that he would choose to commit suicide by slashing his wrists. Six months after Danny's death, Devereaux learned from another journalist that there was a hit placed on him, on Don himself, but that Doug was mistakenly killed as a result. So that kind of confirms or unofficially confirms some suspicions. Yeah. So Devereaux also learned that there was apparently other people that wanted him dead. Damn. (laughs) Yeah. Popular guy. A CIA official and an informant for Israeli intelligence confirmed the death threats to him. So this goes all the way to the top. It's I mean, there's crazy. some there's some stuff. People are want this to be squashed. Strange, yeah. So Devereaux is now certain that Doug was mistakenly killed as a result of a botched hit that was meant for him. He is another victim in this chilling unsolved triangle. All three cases remain unsolved. And sadly, Charles's widow, Ruth Morgan, died in 2006. Of cancer. It's been almost 45 years since the death of Charles Morgan, and the mystery of his death is no closer to being solved. I don't think, it, I don't think people want it to be solved. Yeah. They want it to be nice and open and yeah. weird. Suicide. Whether his escrow company crossed the line with some mob boss or he was outed as being a rat working for the Fed... He ended up in the desert wearing a bulletproof vest shot in the back of the head with his own gun. And I just wanted to also add that the couple's four daughters maintain that their father was murdered to protect the interests of corrupt businessmen and politicians. My father had a lot of information about people here in Tucson that could have been very detrimental, said Megan Heidi. There was a lot of information about politicians, people who are still alive that work in our government. He had that information and they wanted to silence him. So his family very much believes that the government killed him, which I almost think that the mob killed. You know what I mean? Our government would never do such a thing. Yeah. Well, that is the curious case, though. So what do you think? Definitely suicide. (laughs) I, I think it's. A very strange case, and there's a lot of twists and turns, but I think that people, you know, at, at and in this story, they're, organized crime and the government, there almost isn't a line between the two. So who knows, you know, it doesn't almost doesn't even matter who killed them because they're just as bad as one another. Yeah, I think they are pretty much one and the same at this point. Yeah. But I am pretty sure if you were going to kill yourself, you wouldn't put a bulletproof vest on yeah and also it's interesting too and i'm glad that don devro is still alive because it seems like they really wanted him dead whoever it was you know or i wonder if there's still a hit on him yeah well if any of you listeners have any info feel free to blow it up on our facebook group yeah don't blow it up on our facebook group email us truecrimedumpster at gmail.com message in a bottle works too messenger raven 
All right. Well, that's our story this week. We'll be back to being a little more regular after this week. Now that things have kind of settled down a little bit. But man, what a weird Amy year. Just jinx- she just jinxed it. So I know. It'll I be another month. Did. But stay tuned. So anyways, you can follow us on all of our socials. We're on all those platforms. Just, you know. But not TikTok. No, we're not on TikTok. We're anti We're not on Snapchat. We're old. We're old. Facebook. We're in the newspaper. Instagram. Twitter. We have a classified ad. (laughs) (laughs) Write us a letter. (gasps) Don't, because we don't have a P.O. box, and I don't want people knowing where we live. Anyways, (laughs) you can tune in next time as we continue talking out the trash. Bye-bye. Adios.